Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. And welcome back to Hardline right here in hour number two. Brenda Olasey with you and Joe Beamer also on board as we talk politics and the COVID crisis. And welcome your calls and texts at 716 803 0930. And uh, nice to welcome AJ Baines, who is the head honcho over at the Amherst Chamber of Commerce, to our airwaves this half hour. Good morning, AJ, and thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning, Brenda and Joe. Thanks for having me on. Good to have you on. And certainly, as uh, the head of a very large chamber, you deal with businesses of every ilk, and you do have resources for those businesses who are coping with this uh, unprecedented crisis. How can people access those, AJ, and what types of resources do you offer? Well, uh, uh, thanks for the introduction, and it's definitely been a unique year for everybody involved, uh, for small business owners and for the chambers of commerce around the area. Uh, This is completely unprecedented. It's a word that's been used uh, time and time again, but nobody was prepared for what took place in March. I don't think anybody was expecting to be told by the government to be just shut down and we have to stay in our homes. And there was a lot of uncertainty and we, uh, while balancing a public health crisis uh, of the unknowns of what COVID-19 could do to each and every one of us. Uh, so this year for us uh, to scale up as fast as we were, uh, we did, um, we were very happy to be able to scale up and provide the resources that were necessary for small business owners. Uh, everything from just being an information center for them keeping them up to date on the latest regulations, the latest rules that were coming out from um, the state and from Albany, while also supplying them with PPE materials, making connections with legitimate PPE vendors. And then uh, in April and May, when PPP came out uh, from the federal government, uh, just being that conduit through the financial system for most of these small business owners and large business owners, too. Now, as president and CEO of the Amherst Chamber, AJ, I know that you had a key role in coming up with a way to inject some cash and and, uh, revenue back into uh, Erie County. And you talked about uh, the the e-card. If you could explain the story behind that. I know you and I talked earlier in the week about it. I thought it was a fascinating way that a lot of different entities collaborated. What was your role in getting that off the ground? So I have to tip my hat to the county executive on this one. He put together a small business task force uh, comprised of leaders of industry, comprised of uh, chamber representation, comprised of developers, small business owners, large business owners. And really what they were trying to figure out was how to keep this economy humming, given all of the rules and restrictions that were being placed on everybody, but also 
while being safe. Uh, we had representation on there through uh, one of our representatives, Christine Langenfeld, was on. And as she worked through the process, one of the many things that the county was looking for was some sort of stimulus program for small businesses where, you know, consumers could go out and spend money. Uh, what we recognized was that there was an opportunity here for us to partner up with Yifty out of California, which is an e-gift card program. And we created the Shop 716 program in conjunction with the county and the county executive. And we were able to provide a match uh, over the last four months uh, to the tune of almost $600,000 was uh, allocated through matching, uh, starting with a $25 match. And then we did a Black Friday sale. Uh, through the Thanksgiving weekend with a $50 match. So if you went on Amherst.org slash shop 716, you were able to purchase an e-gift card uh, to be used at small businesses throughout Erie County. We go to the northern points of Grand Island all the way down to Gowanda. Uh, the retailers are, they sign up to be retailers on there. There's no cost to the retailer. And we're really proud to say, you know, on this Sunday here, we're close to 30,000 cards have been issued. We have over a million dollars infused into the local economy and growing uh, with almost 700 retailers. I think it's at 699 before I jumped on. Uh, that is also growing. We have retailers in the queue looking to get signed up. And uh, we are very proud of the process that took place here. And, you know, we appreciate the county executive including us in this and also using some of the federal CARES Act money that he had allocated uh, I believe it was $25 million. He put a portion of that to this gift card program. AJ, um, you know, you talk to a lot of business owners and we are in the month of December, uh, holiday shopping. What do these business owners, these businesses, what's their biggest fear heading into 2021 when it comes to the pandemic, when it comes to making ends meet? What's their biggest fear once we get to January? Uh, their biggest fear is that we're going to see another major shutdown. Their biggest fear is that they're not going to be able to um, feed their families. They're, they're not going to be able to take care of our friends and neighbors who work for them. That's their biggest fear right now. And it's it's been a challenging time. We, we see, uh, I believe, the first shipment was shipped out on the vaccination uh, yesterday. Um, so there's a light at the end of the tunnel here. But we're still several months away from that being mainstream. Uh, that's where it's very difficult to have these conversations. And we feel these calls every single day. I know my uh, fellow chamber execs, we talk uh, daily just about what are you hearing, making sure that we're all on a consistent message here. And the, the, the problems and the challenges that these businesses are facing right now are just catastrophic. And hopefully, as long as we can all hang in there and we can come up with creative ways to market businesses, uh, creative ways to assist businesses and avoid that that red shutdown. Um, they'll still be here after first quarter. AJ, since the 716 uh, program was such a success, uh, and it was obviously the first time out of the shoot with that, do you expect to uh, keep that going beyond the holiday season or have some other uh, type of reiteration or iteration of that? Yeah, we're, we're very fortunate at the Amherst Chamber. We're a very unique chamber in the sense that we have over a 1,000 member companies. Uh, we have a very nice blend of large employers, the M&T Banks of the World, the National Fuels, National Grid, Independent Health, to the small solopreneur uh, represented in our membership, uh, the accountant, the uh, solo lawyer, uh, 
a small restaurant tour. And what we try to do is look for opportunities to assist them. And with the success of the Shop 716 program, we're very proud to say that we've had some cor- major corporations in this community reach out to us and ask, how can we be a part of it? And they've done large-scale purchases that they're giving to their employees in lieu of a holiday party, or they're donating the gift cards to frontline workers. But when we let them know that after January, this program will continue on, uh, they are interested in how they could assist. Maybe we will be able to do another promotion on a buy one, get one, um, sponsored by one of these large companies. Solopreneur. I love that. I think you coined a new word. I think you should try to copyright that, AJ. (laughs) but i I, you know i'll take credit if they if you're willing to give it to me brenda so (laughs) absolutely uh speaking of you know how you have been in touch with other uh, chambers throughout the area do you talk on a regular basis with Dottie gallagher and uh, pat kaler the folks who are in the city running things for uh similar types of organizations absolutely uh patrick has been uh it's been a great uh advocate for the Amherst Chamber, but he's been a great friend to the Amherst Chamber uh, over the last several years here in his group. Um, we work in conjunction with them. They've been uh, very helpful with the Shop 716 program and helping us launch it, um, do some of the creative that's behind it, and come up with some interesting ideas on how to appropriately market it. Um, we've worked with BNP uh, in the past, and we've been involved in their uh, some of their larger scale surveys that they're looking to accomplish and put out there into the marketplace as well as they look into the studies that they're doing. You know, it's no secret for those of us who live in New York State how the tax burden is sometimes just unbearable for so many businesses and individuals, for that matter. And I know that you uh, you attend the State of the Town Address, AJ, and that you work uh, quite a bit with different government leaders. What's being done to help people lessen that tax burden, especially now when, you know, there are so many things happening as businesses are impacted by COVID? Well, what I would say, what I would encourage everybody to do is contact your local official. Uh, I spent eight years working in Albany for uh, Senator Patrick Gallivan as his chief of staff, and we heard about it every single day, and we heard from the challenges that the business owners are facing. I come from a small family business background. My father started his company, Third Party Logistics, in 1980, uh, shipping products all over the world, and the challenges are there. The challenges are real. Um, the regulations are, are real, but if you're not out there advocating, uh, or utilizing your local chamber, it becomes very uh, difficult for these elected officials who have a thousand things being thrown at them every single day to figure out, okay, what do I need to do? So one of the things that I always encourage people, don't just walk up and say, oh, the tax burden's killing me. What tax is killing you? Which one is bothering you? What regulation is bothering you? And for your industry, because if I'm not an accountant, I might not know how you're regulated. If I'm not in the healthcare industry. I might not know how you're regulated. So we encourage everybody to get into the specifics. And that's why for the chamber, we put together our public policy agenda for the year. We're in the process of compiling that now. We usually roll it out in uh, early January. Uh, Last year, we had over 500 people in attendance. And sadly, I don't think that's going to happen this year uh, as we continue to avoid large crowds. But um, we will be there advocating. We will be reaching out to our elected officials 
we will be letting them know what the concerns are of the small retailer, what the concerns are of the small restaurateur, what the concerns are of the university systems and the healthcare systems, and trying to figure out a way that we can create a better New York State for all citizens. AJ, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, and if, if this is just a show we don't know at this point, that's, uh, that's fine. But looking at 2021 and looking at the possibility of getting back to somewhat normal by June or July, have you talked with businesses about some kind of big, uh, uh, big celebration, something big to get people back, to get people out again uh, once the vaccines uh, are there and once we can get back to what life was like in February? Uh, I I believe uh, the citizens of Erie County are going to put on that big celebration for everybody and really engage back in the economy. Uh, We're we're excited about the potential of 2021. I think everybody thought going into 2020, it was such a cool sounding year. 2020, everybody was pumped up and uh, nobody was prepared for what took place. So I think uh, you're starting to read about it, whether uh, it's in Forbes or Times, but you have different economists out there. Are we going to have the roaring 20s? And I'm hoping that's where we're going to go. Uh, But in terms of the larger employers in this town, they're all looking at different schedules into when they're going to bring their employees back. I mean, one of the things that every employer is dealing with is making sure that the employees feel safe and that they're providing a safe environment for their employees. And some large employers are looking at April 1. Some have moved their January 1 to June 1. Some have moved to July 1st. There's a lot of different things going on right now, and I think we're going to know as we start to see how the rollout of the vaccination takes place and how that works for the economy here. There are so many office parks and medical parks, uh, AJ, throughout the town of Amherst. Uh, Is there concern from developers about filling that space? Because it's been proven now that uh, we can work remotely in many cases, Uh, and that even applies to those of us at Intercom. You know, I'm home and Joe's back at the station. So what do you hear from uh, business owners who are concerned about filling that space when there's so many large uh, office parks? Uh, we hear a mix of both. We hear some people look to, that maybe they'll use 2021 of staying remote. But I, I think the general feeling is people like to socialize. People like to be collaborative. Uh, you saw where the workspaces were headed in the last couple of years, open work, uh, workflow uh, plans, uh, the ability to, they, they call them collisions, you know, where people were going to be able to bump into each other and exchange ideas and share ideas with one another. And that was where they were finding that type of collaboration to be most successful for being innovative as companies. And that's where it was headed. Now we put it on pause. Now we're looking at, okay, how do you still allow that type of collaboration to exist while being mindful of the fact that we're dealing with the pandemic? And once that pandemic's over, do we just stay neutralized or do we try to work ourselves back into that type of workspace? And we're hearing it from the developers that there's some hesitation that maybe somebody might not take 10,000 square feet. They'll go down to 7,000 square feet. Um, Maybe there'll be hybrid models for employees, uh, especially those with young families where three days a week they're in the office, two days a week they're working remotely. But overall, the hope and goal is to bring people together and utilize the spaces appropriately going forward here. A.J. Baines, president and CEO of the Amherst Chamber of Commerce. Really appreciate your insights, A.J. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you very much, Brenda. I really appreciate it.
Anytime. And Joe, uh, you know, busy show. We've got Dr. Thomas Russo coming up, but you and I uh, have a little bit of time here to chat, and I know you wanted to make a point, you as know, I do. Brenda, uh, you know, I bring up Dave Portnoy a lot, probably too much for a political talk show. Um, but he had, I thought, a great observation over the weekend talking about these small, you know, these restaurants that in New York City, they're closing indoor dining again. Here we've had indoor dining closed for now about a month. Uh, and, and you get these numbers out in the rate of spread is under 1.5%. Now, Brenda, obviously, if you are in a high-risk group, stay home. A vaccine is on the way. Uh, but I think with restaurants following uh, the distancing of their tables, wearing a mask when you're not at your table, that's shown to be, I think, shown to be safer than if I have 10 people over to my house for the Bills game today. You know, I continue telling the story about in September for the Rams game, I went out to a local restaurant and for four hours was sitting next to someone who two days later tested positive for COVID. Now, obviously, at the time, we didn't know uh, that he had COVID. I do believe if we were at his house, if I was at a living room party, I would have gotten COVID. Uh, so I, I do think that the rate of spread being 1.4% in restaurants, there is a safe way to open these restaurants to some kind of limited indoor dining. I hope so, Joe, because it just uh, bothers me so much to drive by these places that are shuttered and you just see these, you know, big signs that say takeout only. And I always fear that maybe the next sign I'm going to see is for lease or for rent because I don't know how much longer these folks can hang on. Uh, so, yeah, I'm all for it. Um, I also, while we have a moment here, want to make a point. I was really put off by uh, a Wall Street Journal opinion piece by uh, a writer and an essayist by the name of Joseph Epstein on Saturday. And Joe, you may have heard about this, where he called the first lady-elect, Dr. Jill Biden, kiddo, and urged her to stop using the doctor title in front of her name. Now, really, this is what you're going to say to this woman who worked very hard to achieve a PhD in education? and she raised a family at the same time she was earning that PhD for the University of Delaware, and she wants to continue to work and teach. And you, Joseph, Joseph Epstein, have the nerve to say, stop using the title doctor? Are you kidding me? I just think that is a disgrace, and I think that she should proudly continue to call herself Dr. Jill Biden, and it has nothing to do with politics. It right. has nothing to do with whether she's a Democrat, a Republican, a conservative, a liberal, I don't care. You work hard and earn a PhD. You have every right to refer to yourself as doctor. And to denigrate this woman and call her kiddo is really, I think, insulting. So, yeah, that really fried me when I read that yesterday. And, Brenda, it's something we talk about all the time. We, we let politics uh, get in the way of every little thing we do. And, I mean, Dr. Joe Biden, you know, like you said, she put herself through school. She earned that PhD, and she should proudly be called Dr. Joe Biden. That doesn't mean you have to agree with her politics. You know, to call her Dr. Joe Biden, I, I think that opinion piece is way off. And, and again, you know, I talked about this on Thursday when I was in for David. Uh, it's little things like this that we are letting politics uh, – literally, we, we took a page out of the Wall Street Journal to write about how Dr. Jill Biden shouldn't be doctor – I, I just, I really, the dividing of this country, it, we need to start moving in the other direction. Well, and to have some respect for each other. I, you know, the name calling has gotten so out of control. And I thought it was really condescending for this man to refer to her, a woman in her 60s, as kiddo, an accomplished woman who has carried herself with class. And again, if she was a Republican, I would say the same thing. It doesn't matter what her political philosophy is. 
It doesn't take away the fact that she earned a PhD in education, and he thinks that only medical doctors should have a doctor. This guy is, what, what are you, in the bedrock era? I mean, it's just really ridiculous to have that kind of uh, opinion written in a publication like the Wall Street Journal. I think he was really off base. I, I agree 100%, Brenda. When we come back, we'll have Dr. Tom Russo to talk about the vaccine, to talk about COVID-19. Also, last time I talked to him, we talked to gyms and salons. I'd like to get his opinion on those reopening tomorrow. So much more left here on Hardline. And her- Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Our line rolls on right until the top of the hour at high noon, and Joe Beamer and I are here with you until then, and we're going to talk with Dr. Thomas Russo in just a moment. He is with the uh, Jacobs School of Medicine here at uh, the University of Buffalo, but first, uh, a couple of people have taken me to task about my comments about uh, Dr. Jill Biden in the editorial. They criticized her and suggested that she stop using uh, the doctor honorific that she earned uh, as she earned a PhD at the University of Delaware. And people are saying that I'm a hypocrite because uh, Joe Biden called the president names during the debate and he told them to shut up and uh, the president has been called names. Well, that's true. And I don't condone or advocate that people call the president names. That does not in any way, though, obviate what uh, what Joseph Epstein said about Dr. Biden. So I don't know what the connection is. And let's not forget, folks, that the president has made uh, a career out of calling people names. And you can think about all the names he called the other Republican contenders four years ago on the debate stage and all the other names he's called people during the course of his four years in the White House. So it's difficult to uh, condemn 
people for calling him names when he's constantly doing that. I, you know, it's very childish to me to have all this name calling going on. So uh, let's not forget that the president has been in the forefront of calling people names too. I don't condone any of that. I don't think it's right to call him names. I think there should be respect for the office. But uh, one doesn't negate the other. So that's my point. In the meantime, let's, uh, let's talk to Dr. Tom Russo, who was kind enough to join us again on Hardline. Good morning, doctor. Morning. Thank you so much for joining us. And Dr. Russo, um, Joe and I wanted to talk to you about the exciting news about a vaccine that's been fast-tracked and, and where you think it goes first and how effective it is. What do you know so far about the vaccines that are being distributed uh, as we speak? Well, Brenda, as you mentioned, extraordinarily exciting news. Uh, you know, to get on the other side of this mess, uh, you know, vaccinating a critical number of people is going to be our, our ticket for success. So the first vaccine that's received emergency use, uh, emergency use authorization is the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, and that was just uh, approved this weekend. It is across all age groups, 95% effective, which is an extraordinary number. And if you ask any of us back in January, are we going to have a vaccine that we're going to be immunizing people with that's going to be 95% uh, effective with, uh, you know, a very strong safety profile? What are the odds of that? None of us would have bet on that. And, and so um, this is fantastic news. Um, it's in the process of being shipped across the country today as we speak, and it's going to be arriving in various destinations Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We have a limited number of doses at this point, and those doses are going to be used initially for healthcare workers that are on the front lines taking care of COVID-infected patients and are most vulnerable in congregate living, such as nursing homes and those individuals that take care of them. Doctor, when, when the vaccine is given, how does it work? Is, is the person who was just vaccinated safe for a certain period of time, and how quickly does it kick in? Oh, that's a great question. So it's critical for people to realize that when they get vaccinated, it's not snap your fingers, instant protection. The good news is the data from the Pfizer vaccine showed that we start to see an effect at 14 days. Now, it's important maybe just backtrack a little bit. The Pfizer vaccine, you receive two doses. So you on day one is dose one. Three weeks later is dose two. Uh, at 14 days with that first dose, you start to see protection. And after one dose, the guesstimate is about a 50% level of protection. But when you get that second dose at three weeks and somewhere about a week or two later, you're going to receive that optimal maximal protection of uh, 95%. And also the concept and the belief is with that second dose, it'll last a lot longer as well. Dr. Russo, I watched a 15-minute uh, special on the vaccine yesterday, so I feel like I'm now loaded with some intelligent-sounding questions. The, the first one, you know, we've had a lot of people call in and they say the vaccine changes your DNA. Uh, from what I've seen on this 15-minute spe uh, special I watched was it doesn't change your DNA. What it does is it strengthens your immune system. Can you explain what exactly the vaccine does uh, when, you, uh, when you get the vaccine? Oh, Joe, that is such an important question because all my children have been, you know, calling me and saying, social media says that, you know, this vaccine is going to mutate us and all these crazy things. So I won't bore you with the molecular details, but essentially both the virus, uh, its, its code is made of uh, what we call RNA, 
okay? So uh, we've all heard of DNA, which is what our chromosomes made of. Actually, DNA gets transcribed into RNA, and RNA is the message to make all the working blocks and the machinery of our, of our cells. The virus is made from RNA. The vaccine for the Pfizer and Moderna are RNA vaccines as well. They do not integrate into your chromosomes. They are just transiently a code to produce the protein, the viral spike protein, and then we make antibodies directed against that spike protein and develop cells that protect us, and that's what affords protection. So, Joe, you're spot on. The vaccine does not integrate in our DNA. It does not mutate with us in any fashion. It's going to be with us in a somewhat transient fashion, just the code to make the protein so we could develop that protective immune response. What do you say, Dr. Russo, to, to people who are hesitant to take it? Um, we had um, Councilmember Rashid Wyatt on earlier, and he talked about how uh, the black community is very suspicious of vaccines and over the years have, you know, had a reason to be suspicious. Uh, what, what do you tell people who are concerned about those issues? Well, I think it's important for people to be skeptical about any new treatment, in this case, a vaccination. And as a medical community and healthcare providers, it's, it's our job to educate people about how effective the vaccine is, how safe the vaccine is, what the risks are, and there's no medical treatment or no vaccine that's, you know, 100% safe. There's always some small risks that are involved. And uh, particularly, you know, the African-American community, because of some horrific experiences in the past with Tuskegee trials, et cetera, uh, have even more reason to be skeptical because they've been taken advantage of in the past. So um, I appreciate the skepticism. I think that as you know, we uh, uh, disseminate information on how safe and effective this vaccine is. And you know, the good news is that the first wave of individuals is involved healthcare providers. So people will see that healthcare providers are both accepting the vaccine, and you know, is is as safe as advertised. And then hopefully that's going to increase acceptance of this vaccine. But I think it's on us as healthcare providers to get the message out there so that, you know, what would, you know, what I would really call appropriate skepticism of something that's a new type of vaccine, that we alleviate those concerns. Um, and it's critical because we really need to get about 70 to 80 percent of the population immunized to achieve its full potential benefit of herd immunity and, uh, and try to get rid of this new coronavirus once and for all. We know how cold this Pfizer vaccine has to be kept, uh, and that is going to uh, present some challenges. Now, again, this is from social media, so maybe I read it wrong. Maybe it was fake news. Uh, but I heard that Pfizer thinks they might actually be able to keep this at a higher temperature, not as low, and that they are going to the FDA to try to get it passed at the lower temperature. A, is that true? And B, would that help the vaccine um, rollout? So, Joe, I can't comment on that. I, I haven't heard that, but it wouldn't surprise me. Um, but I think the good news is, given that it needs to initially be stored at minus 70, uh, and then once it's thawed, it could be kept at a refrigerator temperature for five days while you're using it to vaccinate people. Here in western New York, we're in good shape because University of Buffalo is a major research university. Fortunately, we have many, many of these uh, ultra-low minus 80 freezers that could safely store this vaccine, and that'll serve as sort of a central hub, then it could be distributed out throughout our Western New York community. If 
then Pfizer does some additional studies to show that the vaccine is stable at lower temperatures, which facilitates storage and distribution, that would be great. It's worth noting the Moderna vaccine, which I'm anticipating, it looks just as good, if not better than the Pfizer vaccine in some respects, is going to be approved next week. And its storage specifications are at just routine freezer temperature and in the refrigerator is stable for 30 days. So logistically, that vaccine is going to be much easier to store and distribute. Dr. Tom Russo is with us, and we have a caller, Juanita, on line two. Good morning. Thanks for joining the show. Um, yes. Uh, good morning, Dr. Russo. Uh, I have a question for you, please. Um, my husband and I both are senior citizens, and, and it's just he and I in our house. Can you tell me, because there's a lot of controversy uh, with family member, that we should not go out, period, to the grocery store. My husband does step out. He goes in and picks up exactly what we need. He does not run around in the store looking at different items and comes right home. Uh, We both have um, uh, complicated issues, diabetes, heart, kidney, thyroid, you know, things like that. When he does come home, I wash all the items that he brings home. And you may think I'm crazy. I also wash our shoes. We take our shoes off. I wipe the soles of our shoes, his, his shoes and my shoes. I, I don't know what to do because we, there's a lot of issues in, in the family. And um, like I said, he does not stay out. On occasion, I may go with him. But basically, uh, we do have family members who have been wonderful, wonderful to bring uh, groceries to us. But I just want to take your lead on what you think is best. And I appreciate you. Those are all very important. and the TV. So, so safe and so careful. And that's critically important because we still have a, a solid four or five months before we get enough people vaccinated to uh, realize its full effects. And so between now and then, what you and your husband are doing is critical to keep the number of new coronavirus cases down. What I would say is this to you. It's impossible to drive the risk of new infection down to zero. But if you and your husband, when you go out, and it sounds like your husband is doing the heavy lifting here, wears a good mask and wears it properly and physically distances from other individuals and is in venues such as grocery stores where everyone is supposed to be wearing a mask and, you know, goes in and out and doesn't spend an exorbitant amount of time and our wagons in those big box stores have very good ventilation, I think the risk is extraordinarily low. Transmission through fomites or surfaces, such as your groceries and your shoes, is extraordinarily low. If if it makes you feel more comfortable wiping those down, that's fine. Um, But I I don't think you have to be quite as cautious as you've been. And, you know, another approach as opposed to wiping everything down is to sort of set it aside for a day or two. Just don't touch it. The virus isn't very viable outside of our body. And if in the unlikely chance there was some level of contamination, uh, it would self-inactivate. And lastly, if you touch anything that you're nervous about might be infected, no grounds for panic. Remember, just wash your hands before you touch your eyes, nose, and mouth, and you should be fine. Dr. Russo, uh, the, the state or the governor put a slide on his PowerPoint on Friday of 46,000 data points from contact tracing. Uh, I, I don't know how much stock you put in the stuff like this, but we saw where gym and salons were so uh, much lower than a percent and something that you had said were, was a gray area. Uh, we see restaurants at 1.4%. Uh, is that lower than you were expecting? 
Well, I could tell you it's hard to say with the you know contact tracing data because you know where someone acquires an infection. Um, I think Joe, we've talked about this before. I still very strongly feel, and there's multiple other sources of data show that risks in any indoor setting where people can't wear masks at all times uh, is going to significantly increase your risk of getting infected. And unfortunately, indoor dining falls in that category. I was very pleasantly surprised to see the gym data because, as you know, I was nervous, not because, you know, the processes in place weren't solid by the various gym owners, but I wasn't sure how well people were executing mask use when they were doing heavy aerobic workouts where the temptation is to, you know, slip that mask down because they're breathing heavily. And, of course, in that scenario, they're generating lots of respiratory particles. So I was thrilled to see that. Uh, As you know, also, my concern for the nail and hair salons has always really been a I, my best guess from the governor's office is sort of theoretical because of the close contact, but there really hasn't been any data, and there has been data published that that's an increased risk. So I'm glad that the governor paid attention to this data, and I'm thrilled that he's enabled these entities to reopen. I believe on Monday is going to be the day, uh, and um, I'm hoping that Western New Yorkers will continue to execute those public health measures and keep those infection rates down so we can keep these places open, right? Yes, definitely. Dr. Russo, so many people hurting financially and emotionally. And uh, we had a guest on earlier in the show. I don't know if you heard the first segment with Assemblyman uh, DiPietro, who said he uh, wears a mask only as a courtesy to business owners. But he said he's talked to, quote, dozens of doctors who say masks really don't work. Uh, what, where do you fall on this debate? It sounds to me like you advocate for masks in a big way. Well, this isn't a debate. Uh, you know, there's a huge body of data that show masks both protect the individual that's wearing the mask from potentially getting infected. And if you are infectious, serving as source control, you won't spread the virus to others. You know, these sort of testimonials, I've talked to doctors and this and that, it, is, uh, it just, just doesn't hold water from a scientific point of view. And I think when you think about it, right, forget about all the science and all the studies that support mask use. Let's just use common sense. We know that when we breathe, cough, sneeze, sing, speak loudly, if you're infectious, you're going to be spewing virus. If you're wearing a mask, you're going to stuff that to a significant degree. And likewise, as that virus goes through the air, if you're wearing something covering your nose and mouth, it's going to protect it from entering, which is how you get infected. So it's, it's disappointing that these arguments are still ongoing. And I think it's, it's really providing a disservice to our community because even though the vaccination is here, you know, we're not going to get enough people vaccinated for a number of months yet and uh, to uh, achieve, as I mentioned, that, that full effect. And therefore, these public health measures remain the, the only thing we could do to prevent getting infected. And, you know, though we're doing much better here in Erie County in the last week, which is externally encouraging. Boy, if you look at the numbers across the country, it is quite disheartening. Uh, you know, we're sort of now approaching on average 3,000 deaths a day. And it's, it's just a, an awful tragedy. Yes, and uh, especially even in um, states like the Dakotas that uh, do not have large populations, and yet it's spiking. And, Doctor, a lot of people bring up Sweden as an example. Uh, Do you feel like they have achieved a certain level of safety that perhaps we have not in the United States? Or do you see things spiking and uh, that it's a reflection that herd immunity in this case really does not work? Well, you know, and I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the Swedish model that that um, people that don't want to follow public health measures often uh, advocate. 
The bottom line is that the model failed, unfortunately. Their death toll compared to comparable countries like Norway, similar size and demographics, is tenfold more. They're not even close to achieving herd immunity. And a result of the policy, and it wasn't really a full free-for-all policy. They just sort of relied on their citizens to do what they thought was in their best judgment, and they opened certain schools. So it wasn't quite what everyone thinks. But nonetheless, uh, that less restrictive policy has resulted in, unfortunately, an excessive number uh, of deaths. And uh, they have really abandoned that policy now, and they're no longer following that. And they, and they need to be more, more rigorous with their recent uh, spike of cases that they've seen this winter, unfortunately. Doctor, somebody texted in about the virus getting in uh, one's eyes. Is that a source, too? I mean, you obviously can't put a mask over your eyes. Uh, how, how do you deal with something like that? So it is a potential source of entry for the virus. You know, we've struggled enough to get, as we just discussed, people to wear masks. It's difficult to get people to wear eye protection as well. When everyone is wearing masks, that becomes much less of an issue because then the infectious person has the virus uh, mostly stuffed coming out of their uh, mouth uh, and or, or nose. In hospital, when we take care of patients, we always wear eye protection because it is a possible source of entry. And, of course, we're taking care of patients that are much higher risk, right, in terms of proportion that are infected with the new coronavirus. Sure. I've always suggested that, you know, um, you know, it's hard to get people to wear the best are, are tight-fitting goggles or wraparounds, but minimally wear your, you know, sunglasses, your eyeglasses out there. They're not perfect, but that affords a degree of protection as well um, because it is a possible entry point. Makes perfect sense. Dr. Russo, I, I have a question. You know, this COVID thing, let's be honest, the politics of it, it's gotten so political, uh, it's kind of disheartening. You know, we see one, one party wants to blame the other party, one governor wants to blame the other governor, uh, but we look at the health and fitness of the United States of America, and I'm not a doctor, so that's for, for you to comment on. I think we look at our numbers, we look at our deaths, we look at our hospitalizations, could this just be a sign that the United States of America is unhealthy and that might be something we want to focus on once we do have a vaccine and we are out of COVID-19 so another virus can't affect us like this one has? Yeah, Jim, some, some good points in there. Let me unwrap that just a whiff. We are definitely not optimally healthy as a nation. And the obesity epidemic is, is one of our, our major chinks in our armor. And we definitely you know, need to work on that. We were trying before the, this COVID pandemic. It's been magnified by this pandemic, and we really need to circle the wagons and try to make a serious dent in that when we get on the backside of this. However, unfortunately, it's just not the fact that we have Americans that are, are in less than optimal shape, and though that certainly has contributed to a degree to perhaps some increased mortality here. But we've also broadly failed on our public health measures. And, uh, you know, there's unfortunately a large list of countries that have done a lot better than us um, with a more centralized response and a greater buy-in across the entire population where their cases are zero, close to zero. And all we have to really look at is uh, Australia, New Zealand, numerous countries on the Asian Pacific Rim, you know, Japan, Vietnam, China, uh, Taiwan has barely had any cases in the last 250 days. And when you get to that low case level, that's great for the economy because they're getting to do stuff, right? They're getting to do all the things that we, you know, are missing out on right now and people are pushing back on because, you know, uh, there's been some restrictions on those activities. 
So the economy and controlling this virus goes hand in hand. I'm not sure what we could do with our behavior over the next four to five months as we haven't succeeded up to now, but at least we, we need to try to minimize damage control as we're getting this vaccine into more and more people. And, uh, and ultimately that uh, hopefully is going to be a solution if enough people accept it. Dr. Russo, really appreciate you taking the time this morning to talk with us and your uh, constant availability. You've been a real asset as we navigate through these uncharted waters. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Oh, my pleasure, Brenda. You take care now. Thanks. Everybody stay safe. Thanks so much for tuning in and go Bills. Thanks, everybody. Go Bills. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.